0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast where we shine a light on the complexities and challenges surrounding the importance of human behavior on cybersecurity and compliance. That's right, we're talking about people being at the center of information security and data protection, and the challenges of engaging users to create change in their behavior. This is Beyond the Firewall. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Now... In sports land, the saying often goes that offense is the best form of defense. Sounds better in American, if you ask me. But anyway, today we're going to be taking a look at cyber defense, but through the lens of cyber offense from pen testing and adversarial security to red teaming and well, everything in between and how best to use offsec to your organization's cyber advantage. Speaking of offensive and adversarial, it's time to meet today's experts. As always, Meta Compliance CEO and author of Cybersecurity 1 Is for Dummies, Robbie O'Brien. Hello, Robbie. Only joking about the adversarial bit. I promise.
1: <laughs> Hi, David. It's great to be back today. We're talking, as always, about cyber risk prevention. It's a big topic, right? Where we look at the technical t- controls and practices, alongside the people and social engineering approaches that organizations can implement. So we're looking forward to that.
0: Very much looking forward to it, as always, and very much looking forward to chatting with our special guest today, offensive security expert, author, and most recently, security solution specialist at CYE, Philip Wiley. Hello, Philip. Nice to meet you. Thanks for joining us.
2: Well, good good to join you guys. And I appreciate the invite. I look forward to the show
0: for anyone who hasn't come across you i mean i know we're talking about offensive security today we've we've chatted a little bit before we're recording today you are i i may be getting this completely wrong and heaven knows i'm not a great judge of character sometimes but you mm-hmm. seem particularly inoffensive to me so tell me what the offensive part of your offensive security specialist role what what does that involve
2: sure you know of course defence you think of the firewalls protecting the organisation and and the offensive team we take the role as the adversary. We kind of use different techniques that and tools that an adversary would use. Because when you're, when you're testing your security, if you just run a vulnerability scanner, you're only relying on what it says uh, is possible, those vulnerabilities, unless you try to exploit those, actually hack in and see what's possible past that. And there's even more that can be done past that. What happens if you get a foothold? So a vulnerability scanner is only gonna know that this vulnerability is possibly exploitable. But what happens you get a foothold you're able to get access to data sometimes you know we sometimes we look at the threat actors and make them out or what happens sometimes to be more complicated than what it is sometimes it's just a matter of being in the right place this right time someone's curious and uh, they find like a open s3 bucket or something or some mm-hmm. some type of share or, you know some uh, information that really wasn't properly secured and they're able to get in easily so not all these Breaches are something really super complex, something at times is really easy. And so using pen testers uh, to perform offensive security type of assessments, you're able to get in, gain a foothold and see what's possible. Are you able to get to other systems? Because, you know, sometimes companies will file a risk acceptance on a vulnerability. I had a case where through a SQL injection vulnerability, I was able to get command line access to a server inside the company from the Internet. And they filed a risk acceptance because it was a development box but mm. i could have i could have possibly gained access to production systems yeah. but that was out of scope
0: again lovely to meet you and um, and i really want to land on that offensive security thing first of all today because there's a concern isn't there that that some of the the, the core definitions and distinctions around the roles in this area can at best be a bit blurred but at worst, be fundamentally misunderstood by the the senior leaders who are responsible for an organization's information security. And this disconnect between what's actually tested or delivered and what's really being tested or delivered or what, what the vulnerabilities are can, can result in all kinds of problems for an organisation from those vulnerabilities all the way through to uh, regulatory compliance as well. So, Philip, I'll come back to you. Kick us off here with a 101, a, a nice tight set of definitions, if you were. Help us to understand what defensive security specialists like you do. What they don't, maybe a good way in is what the different roles are and, and how they cover the different bases.
2: Sure. And one of the things, too, is it's not only senior management that don't, doesn't understand this. I worked for a company once as a red team lead And even people in security didn't know the difference between some of the different components and different types of testing. So you have like your vulnerability management teams where typically you're just doing vulnerability scanning. So you're running Nessus, Qualys, uh, Nexpose, other vulnerability scanners, just looking for vulnerabilities. And so that's the extent of it. You're you're doing this on a weekly, biweekly, monthly basis, looking for these different vulnerabilities and trying to stay ahead of that curve. Vulnerability assessment is the next level up. So you're running the vulnerability scanner. You're maybe even running a secondary vulnerability scanner and other tools, uh, hacking tools, and different types of hacking techniques to test for security. And you document those. And you val- anything that was in the vulnerability scan, you're going to validate, make sure it is not a false positive, mm. and then this gets reported on. But with the the next level is a penetration test. So The vulnerability assessment is pretty much a pen test without the hacking piece. Right. You're only finding the vulnerabilities. A pen test is the next level where you're going through, you're running vulnerability scanners, you're using different manual tools and techniques to try to gain access to those systems. And when you find one that's vulnerable and possibly exploitable, then you try to exploit those vulnerabilities. And then you get into like the post exploitation where lateral movement are you able to to move to other systems at the same level on the on the uh, network are you able to elevate your privileges go from a low level user or a service account to administrator are you able to gain access to sensitive data because as we mentioned earlier not all the time these servers are secured properly and you can get access to sensitive data pretty easily
0: So where do things like phrases that I hear all the time, red team, blue teaming, purple teaming was a new one that I came across. Uh, Where do they fit into this? Is this kind of towards the end of the stack that you were speaking about just now?
2: Sure. Actually, kind of the difference is blue team is the defensive team. Red team has been generalized as the, the offensive team, but true red teaming is actually adversary emulation. It's just kind of uh, caught on the term to generalize for offensive security is the red team. But true red teaming, where it actually came from, is adversary emulation. So on a penetration test, I'm going in trying to find every single vulnerability that can be exploited and mm-hmm. attempt to exploit those to make sure I'm thoroughly testing the security of those systems. With adversary emulation, we're going in unannounced. The CISO probably knows. There's people yeah. on the control group that know what's going on, because if the blue team knows that they're being assessed they're going to they're not going to look bad so they're going to tell their people to watch for this so they we want to go in and test without people being tipped off to see what their reaction is going to be like because in this type of scenario you're testing more than the technology and the security you're also testing the reaction of the defenders are the incident responders responding when they see these incidents are your endpoint detection systems detecting these so you want to make sure it's being detected as we mentioned before, the pen test, you're trying to find every exploitable vulnerability and exploit it with this. You're trying to find one or two methods in try to get a foothold and you're basically emulating what would be a breach in the real world. So Mm. a lot of cases you're leveraging things like social engineering, uh, phishing emails, because sometimes these, sometimes enterprises are really secure. Maybe you go through the pen test, you're coming up clean. There's no way to exploit, get a foothold in, but then through these, uh, adversary emulations or red team operations, You're going through, you're sending out malware via email to see if you can get a foothold, even trying to social engineer people to get into the building, get into the data center, using these techniques that are more similar to a real world adversary. And, you know, with the pen test, you don't have as much time to do this with the red team operation. You know, this could be weeks or months because it's, you know, real world threat actors. Sometimes it could take them years to finally get into organization. They're just persistent. In sure. their attempts till they finally get a foothold.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of things in there. I'm really pleased you mentioned actually in terms of the physical security, and then you also mentioned the phishing emails, the way in. And Robbie, I, I was uh, you kind of t- taking the words out of my mouth there because I was going to throw this over to you, Robbie, and say you know the uh, the simulated phishing campaigns that that you your, your clients you run on behalf of your clients and so on. These would also, I guess, sit beneath that offensive security banner as one of those one of those little probes, I guess.
1: Definitely, I mean. Simulated phishing campaigns are a form of vulnerability scanning for social engineering weaknesses among staff. And indeed in in the real world, I think it's a real go-to for most people that are trying to get a foothold. It's one of the easiest, uh, right? And you can be proactive in the change chain you deliver in that people actually see it at the other side, if you're allowing that that to happen, it depends on uh, whether it's uh, you know a a silent operation or it's it's publicised within the organisation that that they've got through. And I've been on the receiving end of both one that, that people knew about, and one that didn't. And the behaviours are amazing. Mm. I mean, the systems people are just running around like cats on a hot tin roof, you know, trying to improve things and upgrade things and fix vulnerabilities before. The people find it. I mean, that's one thing. Is that it, it really, really fo- a, a, an offensive security program will, have, will will really sharpen everybody's mind if they know about it. So that's that's one positive. Second positive is that there's an element of falseness about it because if you really want to see the state of the nation, you come in silent and and, and find out. And then I think in re- relation to it being a vulnerability scan, an offensive thing, it, it actually leaves if if someone has f- failed. Uh, one of these things it leaves an impression in that you've sort of upgraded that person through an experience that they didn't have i think the biggest problem with people is we have a mentality that it won't happen here it won't happen in my company it won't happen to my team it won't happen to me so if you can change that that this is a clear and present danger every day these guys are really smart they're they're coming at you and you get people to buy into that, not from a fear perspective, but from a proactivity perspective and a vigilance perspective. Then that's how you get that the culture change.
0: And I guess the overarching reason behind these uh, offensive secure, but behind these campaigns, whether it's simulated phishing or, or some of the other stuff that we've covered already it's to assess understand protect an organization and make sure that it knows what protection it has in place it can identify where the gaps are in its defense and can take mitigation actions and can you know just try and bulk upon its defenses where and when necessary now from an organization's point of view i guess it, it it's important then to understand what it is your organization needs, and then make sure that you're asking the right people, asking them for the right thing, and knowing what, exactly what it is that you need them to deliver. That that scoping piece, Robbie, I guess, is really, really important to, again, achieve that overarching aim here of giving yourself as much of a, a cloak of protection as you possibly can.
1: So it's a 2 edged sword. I think uh, Philip already mentioned it, where his scope didn't allow him to follow through across an invisible border into another area, which you know he could have driven down and and maybe found out and and added real value in terms of a vulnerability or a, mm-hmm. a, a cyber threat. And there's a cost implication here too. So if you it, it, you have a trade off where if you have a detailed and expansive scope uh, for any vendor, that's going to be quite expensive to implement. If you reduce the scope and it's fairly tight, then you reduce the amount of time. So there's a dollar value associated there. And I think the other thing about it is that there is also a, do you want to really find where the problems are or do you want to conform and get compliance Uh on the basis of Passing your pen test, right? And and it's a really sensitive issue. And I, I, interestingly, um, it doesn't get a lot of airplay because it is a sensitive issue in the, in the industry. The best people to talk to are are people like Philip, the pen testers, who a are on the other side of it, but b are talking to clients and um, meta compliance does lots of pen tests. Um, and so therefore, we're we're on that that aspect of it. And then in my past life, I've 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 run data center operations, and th- so therefore have seen the the need to find out where where are your vulnerabilities so it's where are you on that how badly are you afraid of a breach and that therefore you're 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 prepared to think the unthinkable you're prepared to f- let the people find the problem before the hackers do or you know you want an easier life and you know you got the day job of you know more vulnerabilities and notification storms and People problems because you know the problem here is that getting people in the cybersecurity industry is is a nightmare across the West uh, and beyond. It's 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 really difficult. So there is no ideal world. There isn't really no ideal world answer. And I think a pen test then also is as good as the team that the vendor puts on it. And there's a price issue here as well, where I think you know if if you're paying more money you you essentially should be expecting a bigger a bigger uh, return yeah. and uh, and a, a, also a bigger scope and then i think the other other thing is that over time i have found that there is a, a diminishing returns where maybe the uh, technical people in the vendor who you were assigned to initially who who you you, you did a fantastic job over time the vendors trying to automate things with new tools and at the same time maybe you know offload some of the workload to less experienced pen testers due mm. to the fact that there's such a scarcity in the marketplace so i have found that changing pen testers i mean this is good on for, you know f- 15 20 years so it's it's a long time but every so often changing pen testers means that you get a competitive situation and 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 everybody wakes up to the fact that you're not complacent, so I think for for me, it's that complacency versus compliance. And do you really want to
0: know? Oh, I re- I really like this kind of tales from the front line about how to deal with pen testers. Philip, is is this your experience? Do you find uh, clients cycling through different pen testers, or what? What can you tell us about the inside world for, for, from your side of the curtain?
2: Yeah, I don't think people really switch out as often as they should. I think they get complacent, you know, because you have to go through the the procurement process yeah. to find a new, new company, you wait around too long and it's, and you're mm-hmm. not going to be able to replace that vendor soon enough. So they stay with them. So one of the things I would recommend in that scenario is if you know the good pen testers on the team, request those specifically plan yeah. your pen test yeah. out far enough in advance. Because what happens, and as Robbie was mentioning, sometimes you get a less skilled pen tester, but what happens is the really good people are going to get booked up quicker. Yeah. So make sure you plan that ahead of time. Request those people. Another thing you might do too is have, it's a good idea to have multiple vendors because at one time uh, I was a red team lead. We only did some internal network pen tests, mainly adversary emulation, but we outsourced our web app pen tests. So we had like three different vendors that we're using. So if something came up, one was too busy, they couldn't scale to do the level of pen testing we needed. We had someone else we could use. And I think sometimes when you have more than one on contract, then it's going to push them to work a little bit harder.
1: And I have never seen a pen tester come in and say, oh, the previous guy was right. They'll always come in (laughs) and try and find something that the previous company didn't find and go, look, here it is. You know, you should have went with us the last time and we're proving our worth. And and that sort of competitive juice, so to speak, actually is something that gives you, for, for the first phase, an extra lift in terms of your risk management.
0: Now, you mentioned it a moment ago, Philip, obviously there's... uh Various different types of of offensive security and uh, and the kind of physical angle is is one that I want to touch on now because we've discussed on here many times before, Robbie. You know, it's it's easy for us techies to dwell on the digital but forget about the physical. So, Philip, is that your experience? Do do you find sometimes that clients are concentrating on the digital and forgetting about the the physical access, forgetting about some of those other areas? And how much of that sort of work have you have done before for clients
2: yeah that is that is one area that typically gets gets missed they don't think about it and a lot of cases customers are only doing what's required for for compliance pen testing Mm. and they forget the the physical piece because you know someone and like i mentioned earlier there's not always the best hacker that gets in to you know a resource it could be just it's opportunity it's just someone may have dumbly clicked on something and got access they really they're really not you know this elite hacker uh, so sometimes it's just a matter of timing, uh, but, you know, a lot of times they're not thinking about the companies are not thinking about doing the physical thing because if someone gains access to a server room, say the administrator walked away and it's logged in, you don't have to have much skills at all to, to get on that keyboard and get access to whatever you, whatever you want, download it to a flash drive, uh, exfil the data, you know, Copied up to Dropbox somewhere, you know, or that sort of thing. So it's really something needs to be tested because, uh, and one of the things we used to document too, when we, we would do physical pen test or if it wasn't part of it to either let people know they needed a, a physical pen test done or either let them know that their physical controls were in place. I've, done pen tests for companies before that had the the man traps where there's no way to get in. If you bypass it, it's going to set off an alarm. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've got these devices set up where you can't tailgate into the building. So these are the things that I would note on a pen test to let them know they're doing these things right. But yeah, a lot of companies don't do that as often as they should. In a lot of cases, a good uh, consulting company, you know, some cases it may look like an upsell, but sometimes you can get good recommendations on what should be done next, like the physical so I've done. I haven't done extensively a lot of physical, but I've done a few times. But interesting enough, one of the the ones I did was like a full scope pen test of an organization, meaning that everything was in scope. Social engineering, physical. They wanted the physical building security assessed of their corporate location, so it was all in scope. And the person that I was working for to do this pen test, it was like a side project I was doing for this uh, friend of mine. We gained access to the to the the office without badges, without any kind of authorization. We set up in a in an office, a little small uh meeting room that, you know, like when off people are coming in from town, they kind of park and and work for the week. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of set up one of these areas performing our pen testing. And I remember I had to go to the restroom when I was worried about being able to get back in. Left out through the break room. I was coming back and a woman was in was leaving out through the break room, saw me down the hall. I said, do you need in here? I said, yeah. And so no questions asked, let me write in. And so people are just so trusting by nature that, you know, a lot of times this is more easily pulled off than what you'd think.
0: Yeah. I, I guess it, this mimics what we speak about in terms of digital security and network security, that the opposition between the perimeter, you know, once you're inside the castle walls, everyone's good versus that zero trust mentality, whereby even once you're inside, even someone passing through a door, they need to be challenged.
2: Yes. And security awareness goes beyond, you know, phishing emails. It also needs to be how to deal with someone. You know, if you're working for an organization, someone doesn't have their badge, let's say they lost their badge, then you need to contact security, and then okay, security can get them in. Because there's legitimate times people forget their badge and they sure. need in the building, so they need to, to make sure people are following the pop, proper process, and you know, doing awareness around other security
0: items besides just phishing emails. And Robbie, we've spoken lots before on the show. Uh, Jenny Radcliffe uh, is is an example of a, of someone who's extremely experienced in this kind of a. Uh, on-person physical access security mode i guess
2: yeah she's a good one she's an expert
0: (laughs)
1: yes i I think jenny (laughs) enjoys doing it i think if if you like the challenge of getting around controls it's it's an ideal job interestingly we're doing a big piece at the minute on making security more personal to to individuals and the big thing is your your job or your role so uh, rather than awareness being for the same for all of us then if i'm finance and you're marketing then we would we would be talked to differently um, once you drop down below that the general risks and threats that we all deal with and you go into a, a department you find that there's a brand new level of threat so for example where before you would have tried to do tailgating Like one of the easiest ways to get into an organization is to apply for a job. Everybody's hiring, right? You say, well, okay, but how could you do that? How could you reply to a job and get through the doorway? Well, all you have to do is just get chat GPT to reply to the job advert now, right? And suddenly you're in for a job and you go, they take you in through uh, security. You ask to go to the toilet, you come back out and do your thing. And so I actually think that the social engineering thing, I find it very, very fascinating, but it's its going to grow. And every time we put a control in place, the con men, and that's really what hackers are, the con men, right? And that's this has been going forever. This has been going back to the, the, the sting and stuff like that. They're going to find ways around it and become more sophisticated. It's really an arms race and we just have to keep at it, right?
2: Yeah, I agree, and I think a lot of cases for so many years, people weren't really, you know, doing the awareness stuff and really focusing on that. So it was so easy for attackers before, you know, because there was really no, you know, no no defenses.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you take HR, you take marketing, you take sales. On one hand, we're saying don't click any links. On the other hand, we're saying don't download anything. Yet with HR people, what's happening is they're they're going to the world and saying, "Does anybody want a job?" Yeah, mm-hmm. um, they're going. The marketing people are going to the world and saying, "Can anybody write a blog for us? Or can anyone? Does anyone want a, a demonstration?" And so, th- like the on one one side of the uh, the organization is saying, "Clam up, lock down." And the other side of the organization is trying to open up. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, elicit uh, responses. So, I just think the game will change a little bit in the next couple of years and become much more interesting.
0: You mentioned ChatGPT responding to job adverts there, you know, as t- as much as we've been digital, particularly over the last three years or so, I just wonder the extent to which there'll be uh, a reverse on that. And now just to make sure that you aren't a chat bot and you aren't, you know, using ChatGPT to respond to emails and job adverts and all the rest of it. I think that's might well be a call for more in-person business to make sure that you are dealing with an actual genuine person and not a not an AI anyway that that's an entirely different podcast what <laughs> one question I did have though and it's there <laughs> I've absolutely no experience on but still on this kind of physical security thing when you're doing these in- person penetration testing jobs where you know when you are trying to tailgate someone as they go through the front door or something do you have a letter or, or or something with you that you carry around just in case you get caught clobbered, Philip, by a security guard, just so you don't get shut in the slammer or, or sent to the police or what worse?
2: Yes, you always have your get out of jail free card. So that way, in case you get caught, I've got friends have had stories where one was assessing some casinos and he got had tested all his security and he got to one place and someone finally caught on to him and Mm. they threw him out of the casino and threatened him. So I better not see you back here again. I have another friend that when he started his career, that was all he was doing was physical security assessments. And he was doing uh, a pen test for some local government. (laughs) They kind of handcuffed him and put him over Aside, even though he had to get out jail free card, made him sit oh, there wow. and think about what he did for a while because they were upset that they got were got gotten, gotten over on that you know they were able to get in and bypass them, so they were kind of bad losers and kind of handcuffed him for a while. And after that, he said he was done with the physical
0: assessments.
1: <laughs> wow, that's the thing that people don't don't really think about is we have social shame when it comes to failing a simulated fish or. The security people feel that they failed if if a pen tester has, has got, got through. And I don't know why that is so real in, in in the world. But it's one of the reasons why I think, you know, the social engineering works because they know that people are are afraid and they know that people will react in different ways if, if they, they have different problems. So like one of the most effective ones is to say, your email has been hacked your bank account has been compromised ring this no- number we're the security team talk to us and we'll help you and before the brain can catch up their chimpanzee is a way off doing something that they normally wouldn't do also the sense of
2: urgency too someone says they're a oh, manager yeah. someone comes in wearing a suit you know people are gonna you know worried about keeping their jobs or you know yep. affecting their reviews.
0: And I guess in, in the real world, you you talk about shame there, the real world, the team managing the security at the front door of a, of a bank or insurance company or whatever it is, they are very often outsourced. It's a third-party company yeah. who are providing that security. So yes, you may well have your kind of get out of jail, literal get out of jail card uh, in your front pocket in case you do get caught. But that's still going to reflect really, really badly on that security company. So they could lose their job. So I could I could see some security individuals and professionals get in the hump that there is a physical pen tester who's, uh, who's called them out despite the letter. One of the things
2: that kind of happens there too, a lot of my friends that specialize in social engineering or physical assessments will tell them, I'm you know, i going to do this assessment, but I'm not naming names on who felt. I'm only giving you numbers. I'm giving you stats, mm. which is a good thing because they don't want to see people get fired. And I don't think they should. And that kind of leads me to something else that I, that I want to share. I think that we should see a shift in the way we do business. Get away from this punishment mentality if someone messes up let's reward people for doing good security hygiene if people care about their job care about the company and if you're rewarding them for having good security hygiene then reward them for it i think that's better than punishing someone for for making a mistake
0: that's really good to hear and i speak as a parent to two youngish children and you know we talk about positive reinforcement and when they do things that are are good then celebrating those praising those rather than just telling them off when something maybe you know maybe they haven't done a good thing necessarily but that but that positive reinforcement strikes me as as really important robbie in the in the work that you do at meta compliance is is that positive reinforcement something you see very much something that's you know maybe we should be trying to find ways to celebrate more rather than just calling out the, the the bad clicks on emails
1: so I think one of the biggest problems is is resistance. As an organization, you're always providing reasons why people shouldn't do things. It doesn't relate to them. They don't like the format. They have to log in somewhere. There's a resistance. And, and if you start taking resistance away and you start giving stuff that resonates with people, which means that it is negative in the first instance, right, that, that it is a positive reinforcement. And I think the key then is to move into the whole area of behavioral economics, where you're starting not only to reinforce but reward, and I think in in, in our industry because there is a downside. There is a, a scenario where the risks are so big that you can't have individuals or individuals who are present a, a real risk. So I, I think there's there's a case for saying we need to give these, these people intensive training or maybe drop them down and, and, and start them from a, an easier baseline and, and bring them back up. But I think that in line with very engaging, meaningful interactions with uh, awareness, you then have the ability to have certifications. And, and And I see that we come from a background in the IT industry where you learned technology yourself, right? I mean, no one ever taught me how to use Excel. I taught myself. The reality is I'm not very good at it, right? But I know how to use it. And I know how to use this, and I know how to use Canva, and I know how to use this. And I, I'm not experts in anything. And and so this is this approach to IT that people have gone through um through school and, and, and college. And so they should know how to use technology. That's okay. But the problem is they were never taught good cyber security hygiene in, in those situations. So give them something that they can take with them, like a license. And interesting, a lot of our customers are asking for that where they would have their own organizational branded license. As in, you know, you've got 12 months to achieve this license and to achieve it is relatively straightforward. And then maybe a level two and a level three. And as you go along, it's a bit like lingo, whereas you learn the language, it comes up and gives you little rewards and and sapphire uh, yeah. status and gold status, and those things seem childish. Actually, we all react unbelievably well to it, and we all have negative bias too. So, if you see someone with a big sad, you know, frown, it, it hits you worse than something that that is really positive. So, you you use both to to move people along, and that's really the next phase where we're, we're going beyond the traditional chalk and talk type uh, next, next, next e-learning for from a compliance perspective to actually making cybersecurity awareness personal for people and getting them to come on the journey with us and actually take responsibility themselves for their own security behaviors.
0: Education. Interesting. You should mention that, Robbie. Philip, as well as your work on the, on the front line of the, uh, of the cyber industry, you also teach, train, mentor, wannabe, soon to be cyber professionals now. As we know, cyber is it's a growth industry. Uh, and for those with the right knowledge, attitude, experience, I guess, it can be a lucrative career. But as we've spoken about, there is a shortage of these professionals. And I know you've written about exactly this subject. So, Philip, based on, on your journey and those you, you see, those you support in entering the industry right now, what are the biggest stumbling blocks you see in building a successful career in this part of the industry?
2: the biggest things I would advise anyone, and I see that people are missing out. And when I see people that, I, that I've mentored or people I see in the community, they get jobs in cybersecurity. The ones that really leverage networking have the best success because when you're applying for a job, you have to go through what all of us refer to as the HR firewall. You upload your resume to the site. You apply for, for a job. It'll go through, look at keywords, the different algorithms to select candidates. And one example I like to share Was I used to work for U.S. Bank. I got that job through a referral. I was at a local OWASP chapter meeting in Dallas. The presenter worked at U.S. Bank, said they had openings. If anyone's interested, send me your resume. So we connected. I sent my resume. I got a series of interviews and I got a job offer. Around the same time, one of their competitor banks, Bank of America, I applied with them and I applied. I went through the normal electronic method of applying where you fill out an application, upload your resume, You know, I'd been at this point, I'd had five years of dedicated, uh, consulting experience for pen testing. I had two very well-known and, uh, acclaimed offensive security certifications. And I didn't hear from them until a year later. I was more than qualified, but that even goes to show someone that's a veteran in the industry, lots of experience, certifications, all the qualifications. If you get overlooked, what's going to happen to someone that's a beginner, it's so much easier to get overlooked. So networking. You know, LinkedIn for sure, uh, the different cybersecurity meetup groups, different IT organizations, different user groups. Go to those meetings and and meet people because a lot of cases, some of our meetings we do uh, who's hiring and who's looking at like our local ISSA meeting. So there's a way for you to give your resume to someone to get it inside because either you you meet the hiring manager or someone that works in an organization, they can get your resume to the right person Mm -hmm. opposed to trying to do that on your own, which is very difficult. I've seen people that have sent out hundreds of resumes and then you have other people that had networked and got a job a lot easier, less effort just because they leveraged their networking abilities. Not that they wrote a better resume, not that they were more... Uh, highly skilled. I've seen some people that are very highly skilled, very cut out for the job, but just from not leveraging networking, it made their job a lot more difficult trying to find find a role in the industry.
0: Robbie, I'll quickly throw this one over to you because you are a hiring manager in this in this area, aren't you? You hire inexperienced people as well as experienced people. Any anything that you can quickly share to bolt on to what Philip was saying, just to make sure that those with the uh, the correct aptitude or, or or attitude can make an impression
1: i mean i think that there's some people that are gifted with the capability to network and i, I think that's one of the great skills nowadays but i think you can network without us actually physically going to these events and one of the best ways is to find out where um, organizations exist so for example they all have their linkedin channels open they all have their facebook channels open and it's amazing that if you start sort of uh, following them, posting back positive comments, talking to them, you register and also reaching out and, and contacting a number of the key people there, trying to connect with them, and then having a a relatively personalized communications stating why, you know, you like the organization and why you feel that there's, there's a fit. In reality, we don't get an awful lot of those type of things because there's a lot of effort in that. And so therefore, the more selective you are in the organizations that you're after, the more that you'll get it, you'll resonate with those organizations. And I think, you know, if you are going for a marketing job, you know, the marketing people will likely be in the selection process. If it's a systems job, the same sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I think you, you kind of know who your audience is. And I also feel when you do get an interview it's also good to be noisy in their space as well because you're already communicating to them and pe- people talk within the organization
0: oh, it strikes me there's such an overlap here with the whole spear phishing thing and you know what your <laughs> special is <laughs> yes. and what your hackers yes. will be doing just to try and tune yes. into their mark and you know to try and wheedle their way into their networks it's the same when you're trying to get uh, on the on the radar of someone who you want to work for as well many many overlapping skills there i think Yes. Anyway, gentlemen, we are uh, soon to be out of time here. I want your final kind of takeaway nuggets if you will for our audience on making sure that they approach their offensive security strategy and engagements in the right way to uh, to try and make sure they're able to keep their cyber defenses as strong as possible. Um what tips have you got for us Philip?
2: Yes, one of the one of the biggest tips is when you're going to get a a a pen test done make sure to do your research and due diligence on finding a good reputable firm i think a lot of times your boutique pen test firms are really going to be some of your best bet companies that specialize in that there's some companies that do a wide array of things but find companies that are creating their own tools i mean we've have you know i've known some people that are consultants for companies that they're actually finding zero days on the pen test so if you find someone highly skilled you're going to get a better assessment. In a lot of cases, they're going to deliver you a better product. But one of the things too is really focus on setting the goals for the scope of the pen test. If it's a PCI pen test, let's try to focus on things beyond PCI, making sure it's secure because not only is the PCI environment at risk, it's everything else. If someone comes in think maybe the environments outside of PCI are really insecure. There's a possibility someone gets a foothold and gets that information. And there's more sensitive information besides the cardholder data. You know, there's your employee data. Maybe there's health data, uh, sensitive PI, different sensitive information in the company that you really need to protect. So make sure you do a good job of setting the goals
0: of that. Good stuff. Robbie, top tips to make sure that you're getting the most out of your offensive security engagements.
1: So I think that you got to get a measurement from the outside. It's key to not indulging in wishful thinking and people are a key aspect of your risk profile. So I find a, an outside assessment of your people risk can have more impact on senior management and, you know, all offensive security has to take into account that people aspect because it's the first go-to of, of a hacker. So, I think the points that we've been making today is that it's a multifaceted uh problem challenge. If your scope's reduced and you're you're only looking at automated scanning, well, that is not really doing it. And when you expand it out, you're you're doing all these things, including physical, including social engineering. And from a pen test point of view, like, like so much in security, the more you invest in terms of time and scope, the more you'll get out of it and the more it's tailored to your organization and not just a box-ticking exercise, yep. it's clear that your risk profile is going to improve. I think the challenge for most people in, that are watching this is that any one of the things in our job, in our day-to-day that, that we have to do, we, we could do it really well. The problem is there are so many things to do, and and in terms of prioritization, for my money, if you take a paranoid approach as opposed to a positive approach, and, and and for me, it's always paranoid, but by design is one of my mottos, then pen tests play a really, really important part. And you need to go and test yourself. And, and you need to get, it's like the the way the, the submarines during the Cold War used to run the... Uh, the sonar bo- boys up along the side of their own their their selves to see if they could hear any noises within the submarine uh, before the the enemy did um, and i think i think that's for me is always a good analogy but that you always need to be looking to the the, the noise broadcast that that yeah. you're emitting into sort of the digital world
0: well, speaking of uh, the noise you make in a digital world, uh, Philip, terrific to have you on the show today. Where can people find out? Where can people tune in to, uh, in, into your noise and find out more about what you get up to?
2: Sure. One of the best places to reach me is on LinkedIn and just Philip Wiley. So you can find me there and Twitter and also have a podcast called the Hacker Factory Podcast, which you can find on all the major podcast platforms. And the focus is for people trying to, to get into cybersecurity or, you know, there's sometimes maybe you're pivoting in from IT, but it's uh, geared towards that audience. So if you have someone that you know that's wanting to get into cybersecurity, that's a good resource for them to check out.
0: Good stuff. And Robbie, we can see cyber criminals being particularly offensive
1: in your Netflix-style cyber awareness miniseries, Cyber Police, can't we? Absolutely, David. In the series and in our content, we try and get that emotional connection with employees. By making these threats meaningful here we use the medium of a police drama to convey what are you know challenging lessons for the majority of people
0: and a jolly good watch it is too anyway listen thank you very much indeed for joining us today philip thanks for having me it was, it was a pleasure and robbie thank you too to the next time thanks very much david and thank you all for joining us see you next time